Well, it is good to be back. And uh, yeah, was I gone, right? That's a good thing if you didn't even know I was gone. Uh, uh, I will tell you, the, uh, the guys here, the leadership, the, they are shepherds even of the shepherd, and uh, they're very adamant about uh, me taking time off. They, they know, uh, they know what, it, what, what uh, being on this side of the podium entails, and so I appreciate their heart. I appreciate their concern. And so I had a couple weeks of uh, saying, what, what, you know, what'd you do? And, you know, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't really find it restful to sit around and like look at the clouds go by. That would, that would be more stressful to me. So, um, uh, just unplugging from, from the cares and concerns of everydayness of churchdom. And, um, you know, I went to the beach a few times and, and hung out and just, you know, we call it putts around. How many of you just like the ability at home just to putz around with no, right? You just like, you're just kind of figuring it out. And that's like really restful because our life is so what? So busy, right? It's so busy and we go, 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 go. And, you know, some of you are already thinking about what am I going to do for lunch? And what am I going to do for this and the rest of the day? And sometimes what's needed is just to have this time, carve out this time. Where you're like, wait, you know, I'm, I'm just going to wake up whenever, Right, and just kind of mosey through the day, and so I kind of moseyed for two weeks, and um, family was out of town, and, and my son went out of town to be a, a counselor at a camp at Forest Home last week, so I actually had a few days just to myself, which, in, yeah, right, you know, if, if after five kids in 30 years, that, that in and of itself was like weird, right? Sleep on the couch with my dog because I'm not used to sleeping, you know, it's like, Coda, come here. Yeah. So anyway, good to be back. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Mark and Randy and the leadership, Tyler, uh, Bill. You guys have done a phenomenal job in raising up leadership, and it is very restful for me. Probably the most restful thing for me um, is to know that the church family is well taken care of um, when I'm not here. And, and I mean that sincerely for all of you who serve faithfully, uh, who pray, who give of yourself so generously. Uh, you allow me to relax, and you allow me to rest, so, so thank you very much. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the journey through uh, wedding memory lane last Sunday. That, that, was, that, was, that was very interesting. That was very interesting. And, uh, you know, I was thinking of, of Randy's message on preparedness and commitment, and it really was foundational for, for where we're going to move into today and, and really into the fall, because uh, today we're going we're gonna to start uh, the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians and uh, we're going to kind of do this uh, introduction today. And I think it's, it's just a great book and, and a great letter. And the timing of God having us as a church uh, to begin the book of Philippians in light of the current world situation, country situation, uh, is just incredible. Mark's message, Randy's message laid a great framework and is going to lead us right into it. Uh, and and I, I just want to begin, you know, the last couple of weeks have been, again, a bit of an uh, upheaval as, you know, new guidelines have come out uh, from the CDC. And, uh, you know, there's been a bit of emotional angst and, you know, concern with the variant and what's going to happen uh, economically, you know, politically. If you keep up with current events, you know that the world as a whole is in turmoil. It's not just the United States, and it's not just the pandemic. Uh, there are economic, political, military concerns uh, on a global scale. Uh, and you get the global scale, and you get all the way back down to your life right now. 
Because some of you right now, uh, quite honestly, uh, the things on the global scale really are low on your totem pole. Maybe even on the national scale, low on your totem pole. Maybe county, maybe city, because of the new recommendations, affects you a little bit. But you're sitting here, or you're watching at home right now, and you're in personal turmoil. Your life, uh, in whatever capacity it might be, uh, is not at peace. You're not experiencing joy. You're struggling. And, and this is why I, I just thank God that we have the opportunity to, to begin this journey through the book of Philippians together. Because, because really, the theme, and we're going to cover this today, the theme of Philippians is joy. Biblical joy. And Charles Swindoll has a book called Laugh Again, which is really a study through the book of Philippians. And he, he identifies three main joy stealers, right? Worry, stress, fear. And I was thinking of those three joy stealers, and those are pretty good descriptions of the last year and a half as a country, as a world, and in your life. Worry, stress, fear. How many of you here or at home, how many of you would be honest this morning and say, yeah, in, in whatever capacity, to whatever degree, I will honestly admit at 1021 on July 25th that worry, stress, and fear steal my joy. Right? Okay. So the good news is God's word can speak to you right now. And it's not just about where we've been, okay? It's where we're going. Because again, you know, when, when things kind of quieted down uh, with, the, with the pandemic and the numbers went way down and the masks came off, there was a collective, ah, back to normal, even here at church, right? And so everyone had this collective sigh of relief and everyone kind of did this and let's, okay, whoo! And then suddenly you start to hear the news and then, and, you know, L.A. County changes things and Ventura County puts out a new recommendation. And suddenly your needle went back to red, right? And if you, if you were following the, the, the mental health uh, impacts of the pandemic over the last year, you know, anxiety, worry, loneliness, sadness, depression, fear, isolation, anger, uh, economic fallout, physical health issues affecting individuals, families, businesses, right? Division, discord uh, among families, even about the vaccine, even about wearing masks, right? Grief, Grief, profound grief, not just over maybe the, the, the loss of, uh, of a loved one, but grief over the loss of a job, grief over the loss of, of health or in whatever capacity. Just these things that, that we were all kind of like, oh, and then suddenly in the last week or so, it's all kind of cranked back up and we're like this. And I'm wondering, even in the church, even as you sit here this morning, where is your joy? Is it even possible to have joy today? 
And, and, and so kind of a self-assessment, if I were to say, where are you on the joy scale? One to 10, 10 being like, you know, I, I got the joy of the Lord, uh, you know, deep in my heart, deep in my heart right here, like got that joy of the Lord. And others is like, you know what, one, I, I don't even know what joy is anymore. Just, just think to yourself, just for a moment, one to 10, where are you on the joy scale? On the biblical joy scale as you sit here. Think about past week. Think about your current. Think about the joy scale moving forward. As you think about this next week. Okay? In whatever circumstance. Your job, at home, your health, your economics. As you think about moving forward. Where's your joy scale as you, move, as you project forward? Right? Because some of you, when I say think about the upcoming week, I just saw it. He's went, because you know what's coming this week, right? And some of you went, eh, I'm just glad last week's over. How many of you, anyone here that you're glad last week's over? Okay, we got some last weeks are over. How many are, I'm glad last week's over and I'm looking forward to this week. Anyone, right? You're, right? right? And some of you are at the other end. It's just reversed, right? It's, it's, it's a real personal question. Where's your joy? And then what's the source of your joy? Today and, and moving forward, and, and, and I hope, if, if, if at the very least, as a believer this morning, if you want to be empowered, if you want to take the, 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 the baby step towards experience consistent biblical joy, okay, you have to be able to, with conviction, say the following thing. I can. I can. Choose joy. I can, okay, this is as a believer. We're talking biblical joy. As a believer, I can choose joy. See, somebody's already smiling. Because see, what has happened over the last year or even the last week, maybe you've been so beat down that you've become helpless. And you maybe forgot or whatever, something happened over the last several months you forgot that you can choose joy. You literally forgot. And you've become so circumstance driven that you're waiting for circumstances to change rather than you choosing joy. See, a lot of what's happened over the last year or so is that we, even in the church, have become very circumstance driven. And it's killing your joy and it's killing our joy as a church. When the world really needs to see followers of Jesus who have joy in the midst of a fallen world. Amen? Amen. That's what the world needs. They don't need you to preach and teach and get in their face and wag a finger. You know what the world needs? They need to see believers, followers of Jesus with deep biblical joy in the midst of a messed up world. That is what is going to draw them. That is what's going to be like, what is up with you? How are, how are you joyful in the midst of your pain and your circumstance? How are you still joyful? That's the testimony. That's the witness. And that's why I'm so excited to go through the book of Philippians with you. Because my prayer for you, my prayer for us as a church, is that we would be joyful. Full of joy. Amen? Full of joy. And it's a choice. So if you're a believer, I can... 
Choose joy. Okay, remember that. When your little darling drives you crazy after church, or somebody cuts you off, or you get the unexpected thing in the mail, or your text, or your email, remember, I can choose joy. Because it's not based on circumstance. Biblical joy is not based on circumstance. And yet, over the last year, many of us have just become circumstance-driven, waiting for the latest news, the latest guideline, the latest this, the latest that, and then we react. We have become very reactive, even in the church. And my message, and the message of Philippians is, we're not reactive, we are proactive when it comes to joy. We can choose joy. We can choose joy. Okay? And so the book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul while he was under house arrest. Okay, so sometimes if, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you read it like, oh, yeah, the Bible's written by these guys who, who everything was hunky-dory in their life, right? I mean, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about, joy, yeah, the Apostle Paul, the celebrity, yeah, everyone liked him. And, you know, you get, we get these weird ideas that the, book, the, the books of the Bible, these letters, are written by people potentially that are completely detached from the real world. See, that's why a lot of people have this false belief, this misperception, this stereotype about you and me as believers. That what? We live in fantasy land. Not all you Christians, you just bury your head in the sand. You don't want to face reality. It's all pie in the sky till Jesus comes back. That's what they think about you. That's what they think about us, that we don't live in reality. When the truth is, biblical joy is based on spiritual reality. We don't run from the reality of the world. What we do is we come into the reality of the world with the spiritual reality of God's truth. So you've got to ask yourself, if you're wondering and you're struggling on the joy scale, which reality are you focusing on? The reality of the circumstances of a fallen, broken world or the reality of who you are in Christ and God's spiritual truth? Where you choose to focus is directly related to your level of biblical joy. For many of you, it's just been your focus. It's just been your focus. Anybody here tend to be the worst case scenario mindset? Right? Something happens and you just go down the slippery slope of worst case scenario and here we go again. And, right? And, and, and you get all tied up in knots with all these hypothetical worst case scenarios. Anyone? Right? And you mull it over and over in your head. And, duh, 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 duh. and you're not realizing that because you're choosing to focus on that, you're killing your joy. It's just a matter of focus. It's just a matter of focus. In the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul writing under house arrest about joy, right off the bat says, hey, it's not dependent. I'm writing this to you, not dependent on my joyful circumstances. I'm under house arrest, yo. Right? And so he writes... To the church at Philippi, and, and, and it, there's a little map, right, uh, to show you where Philippi is. It's in the, I think, upper left. Uh, yeah, a little arrow right there. So uh, he had helped establish the church of Philippi. It's a strategic location for trading and travel between Europe and the Middle East. It's a Roman colony, surrounding areas known for gold and silver mining. Uh, the church at Philippi was birthed uh, in around 49 A.D., and if you want to read about the birth of the church, you can read it. it it's, it's detailed in Acts 16. Okay? Church birth at Philippi. It's an upbeat letter. 
okay? And we say, we call it the book of the Philippians. It's really a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the saints, to the church in the city of Philippi. It's very upbeat. It's very loving. It's very encouraging, right? There's joy, and, and the word rejoice is found a bunch of times in the next four chapters together. And so there's this deep theme. It's an upbeat book. They have a great relationship, Paul and the church, and he's wanting to bring joy. He's reminding them of joy, okay? Familiar verse, Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How many are familiar with that verse? How many of you know that that verse is a command? It's not a suggestion. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay, put that on the framework of the last year and a half. Have you? Right? And as a believer, you're like, wait, that's a command? How can that be? How, how is that even possible? In the midst of all the pain and disruption of, of families and e- economic, you know, fallout. Now, how, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, come on, Paul. Right? Some of you might see that verse and go, oh, really? Come, there they go. Bury your head in the sand again. Rejoicing. Okay. Re- rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. You know, they think that Christianity is like this plastic fake you know, goofy caricature, and we just walk around oblivious to the world, oblivious to pain and suffering, because rejoice, rejoice, right? That is so ridiculous. That's not biblical joy. If God says and commands us to rejoice in the Lord always, we better figure out how to obey that command, amen? It's a command. It's not a suggestion. And it doesn't say rejoice in the Lord always when things go your way. Hey, rejoice in the Lord always when you're healthy. Rejoice in the Lord always when you got the job. Rejoice in the Lord always when you got money for the bills. Rejoice in the Lord always when your kids always behave you 100%. (laughs) Right? It's rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He has to repeat it. And so Philippians, right off the bat, we're challenged with, okay, man, where's my joy? And in fact, if I were to go to your coworkers, let's say I were to go to your coworkers and say, hey, man, tell me about, uh, I'm picking somebody here. Tell me about Travis. If I were to go to Travis's work, say, hey, man, tell me about Travis's joy. What would they say? Tell me about Shiloh's joy. Tell me about, hey, you know, we go down to the coffee shop. Hey, hey, dude, hey. You know, I'm, I'm Jonathan's pastor. Can you, can you just tell me about his joy? His joy? His joy? What's that? What's, what's joy? I mean, it's, it's like, it's such even a strange word. We don't even use that word, right? We tend to equate joy with happiness, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But, but joy, what would people say about your joy? Well, I don't know about Travis Joy, but he's one angry fella. Yeah, I say that because he is like the most nice, joyful guy I know, but right? I don't know about Travis Joy, but man, he's angry. He's angry about this. He's angry about that. He tells me what he watched on the news, and he's just, he can't, oh, he's just angry. And I wonder how many of us, our friends, family, coworkers, might describe us as believers as angry, bitter, 
everything but joyful. When Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How many of you would love to have a testimony, right? I've done a bunch of memorials. How many of you would love to have someone stand up at, a test, at your memorial as one of the testimonies to say, Mark was just joyful? How many of you would love someone to describe you as joyful at your memorial, right? Okay. Well, the good news is I can. No, I know I can. I'm talking about you. I'm getting you to, I'm getting you to believe. See, that phrase is going to come up throughout this because I'm trying to convince you. I'm trying to get you to believe that you can choose joy. I, I settled this because I had to study this. So believe me, I, I worked through my own. Really? I don't know about that. You know, if you get the texts I get, you get the emails I get, right? I'm not choosing joy in this moment, right? So I've had to work through this. So now it's your turn. And your turn at home. I can choose joy. Okay. It's going to come up later again, just so you know. And the glorious truth from my perspective, because I have this wonderful perspective when I'm here looking at all of you, because all of you just see each other's back of your heads, right? The more I've said it, that's like the fifth time we've done it, more and you are, more are smiling. Because you're reacting to biblical truth. Because of who you are in Christ. I can choose. See, look at that. You already beat me to it. I don't even have to say choose, Joy. You can. That's my excitement for, for Philippians. Now, to give a little more street cred to the Apostle Paul, who's going to tell us about joy and walk us through, let me, let me, let's look at 2 Corinthians. Here's what happened to Apostle Paul a few years earlier before he wrote this letter. Look what he says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And then a few years later, he writes, Jordan put up Philippians 4.4. Hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's some powerful street credibility. Amen. So how does he get there? I mean, his description in 2 Corinthians kind of puts my description of the last year to shame. And yet, a few years later, he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And I'm like, how is that? Where, where's that joy coming from? Because I want that. I want that, right? I don't want to be bound up by circumstances. I don't want to be driven by emotion and feelings or my own thoughts. I want the freedom to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, rejoice, amen, right? And so we're going to look at the first few verses of Philippians 1, 1 through 11, is kind of the introduction. We're going to talk about joy. So Paul and Timothy, Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In verse 4, he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. The word joy, hara, means gladness, delight, rejoicing, cheerfulness, cheerfulness, right? And again, it's thematic. It happens a number of times in the next four chapters. And so let me just ask you, gladness, delight, cheerfulness. How are you doing with those words in your life? Gladness, delight, cheerfulness, right? Because for many of us, it's heavy and it's weighty and it's just oppressive. And I just got so much on my plate. And when I say gladness, delight, cheerfulness, it's almost like a foreign language because you don't remember the last time you had joy daily, regularly, right? Donald Campbell says this, joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing, which was promised to those who abide in Christ. It does not depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control over all things. That right there for many I believe it's the nail on the head for the, how the pandemic has affected you. You forgot that God is in control of all things. And now it's just circumstance. Right? What would it do in your life and in my life if you truly, if we, if we, if we settled the issue that God is in control of all things all the time? Right? In fact, Mark, Mark, you led us again, right? God is good. And all the time. If he is, well, where's the joy? If that's a settled conviction and it's an all the time, 24-7, 365, where's the joy? That's supposed to accompany that spiritual reality. See, this is, this is again... We're good at saying it at church, and it's almost like cliche Christianity. God is good. And all the time. And then circumstances happen. And we forget that God is good. <laughs> See? Oh, all, the, all the time. I don't know. I guess if I got money in the bank, he's good. And I guess, you know... God is good. And all the time, the Bible says he doesn't change, right? 
I am the Lord. I do not change. Right? He does not change. So God is good all, and God is good all the time. It's, it's, a, it's rooted in biblical truth. He does not change. Your circumstances may change, but God never changes. Amen? Okay. So when your world goes boop, but you recognize the biblical truth that God didn't change, I can. Why? Because he didn't change. The reason we don't have joy is we focus on our life going boop. But God is good. And all the time. See, the basis of our biblical joy is on God's nature and character, not our circumstance. We have got to take the necessary time as believers to make these um, professed beliefs convictions. You got to settle these issues. Otherwise, circumstances and the devil, we talked about the devil in Ephesians 6, the spiritual warfare in, you're going to be played like a ping pong. Up and down. And you're like, what? Philippians 4, 4 says to rejoice in the Lord always. Why do I just feel like I'm up and down? My joy is here. Then it's completely gone. And then it might just be that we have to stop long enough to settle and ask ourselves this. This was a question that I was asked. I came across uh, as a young believer that really helped me in my first formative years as a Christian. Here's the question. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Do you really believe what you say you believe? God is good. And all the time. Do you really believe that? Because you just said you believe it. Do you really believe what you say you believe? That's profound. It hit me right between, you know, right there, boom, as a young believer, because it challenged my cliche Christianity. It became rubber meets the road. It was like life goes this way, and now you're saying like, hey, man, I thought you said you believe this stuff. I thought you said you believe this. What's going on? And I had some people in my life who would speak truth. Hey, man, what's going on? I thought you said you believe this. Was that just Sunday morning? Right? Do you really believe this? And it was like, you know, it, it takes time. And this isn't condemnation. It's like coming alongside and showing, I get it. It takes time. Because you, we might have grown up in the church and we learn memory verses and we go to VBS and we go to youth group and we learn all this stuff and there's nothing wrong with learning it here until we realize that I don't know if it went from here to here making it a conviction. I can parrot it right back to you. But on Tuesday, when my life goes this way, am I really going to respond from what I really believe, right? Do you really believe what you say you believe? That just, that just stopped me in my tracks as a young believer to stop trying to accumulate so much knowledge, so many verses, so many sermons, so many books, and said, time out, Mr. Academic. Why don't you just spend time really asking yourself, do you really believe this one verse? And take the time necessary to make it a part of your life, a conviction, a worldview, not just something that you can pair it back in a church setting 
right? And it made all the difference because it really challenged me. Do I really believe what I say I believe? Now, joy also is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something we manufacture, right? Galatians 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law, right? So if I can choose joy, okay, we'll do it that way. So if I can choose joy and it's a fruit of the Spirit, the reason I can choose joy is I can choose to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Now, what does that mean? It's like when my life goes boop, in that moment, as a believer, I can choose. I'm going to react in the flesh or I'm going to react in the spirit. If I choose to react and walk in the spirit, I'll bear the fruit of the spirit. If I choose to react to my world going like this in the flesh, well, I'm just going to be old me. I'm going to rage. I'm going to go off the deep end. I'm going to be angry and bitter, all because I chose not to walk in the spirit and bear the fruit of the spirit. Okay? So, it's a fruit of the spirit. And here's the thing. To be joyful is to be happy. Right? Sometimes in the church, they try to make too much of this distinction. Oh, joyful, happy. If someone is joyful, they're happy. Amen? Okay. I'm going to give you permission to be happy. Somewhere along the line, I don't know where we got this into church. But somewhere along the line, there's this false belief that following Jesus is miserable. It's a bunch of rules and a bunch of do's and don'ts, and he's waiting for you to mess up, and you just got to pick up your cross and follow Jesus till it's time to go to the pearly gates. Somewhere along the line, we picked up this false, false, completely false view that following Jesus is miserable existence, and you're on the survivor island just barely scraping by. So I'm giving you permission to be joyful and happy. Amen? It's okay. Like, turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay to be joyful. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay to be joyful. It's okay to celebrate your identity in Christ. Amen? It's okay to celebrate that your name, is book in, your name is written in the book of life. Amen? It's okay to be happy in Jesus. It's okay. See, this is not health, wealth, and prosperity, meaning my happiness is tied to all the stuff I get. What we're talking about, biblical joy and biblical happiness, is yours already because of who you are in Christ. We should be the most joyful people on the planet. Right? Years ago, the word enthusiastic, entheos, in God. So who should be the most enthusiastic people on the planet? Those who are in God or in Christ, which is who? Believers. Where did we get this idea that I got to suffer for Jesus and I can't be joyful, I can't be happy, I can't celebrate that I'm going to heaven, it's just a woe is me, my life is miserable, I'm such a loser, I hope I can sneak by. Come on, come on, be joyful, be happy with who you are in Christ, just be happy. It's so weird because For some of you, that is such a strange concept. 
because your life has been so focused on the pain and the struggle and how much you fail Jesus and how much you fall short. And if only people, if they really knew me and how this and how this, and you are so burdened, you are so oppressed that you forgot to be happy. You forgot to be joyful. It's okay. In Christ, rejoice in the Lord always. Amen? Right? Now, it's interesting because the word happy, and this is where we get a little bit, oh, happy, right? The pursuit of happiness. You mean money and all that. It's very interesting. The word happy comes from, it's a, the original language is a Middle English word called hap. And here's what hap means. Chance or good luck. Favored by fortune, advantageous circumstances. So the etymology, the origin of the word happy comes from hap, which is like, dude, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. It all, happiness was based on fate and chance and things outside of your control. So if you're not happy, I guess the gods don't like me. But look at you. You're so lucky. Lucky you. Let me tell you something right now. If God is sovereign and in all control of everything as for his children and everything at all times, luck has nothing to do with it. You got to stop saying lucky as a believer. Because then you're going, if you start, keep saying lucky, what happens if circumstance, I'm unlucky. See, the etymology of the word happy is tied to circumstances outside of your control. So a lot of people in the United States is the pursuit of happiness. They don't realize they're trying to pursue something that's out of their control. It's fate. It's luck. It's the draw. It's the cards you were dealt. And that has seeped into the church. As a believer, the Bible says you have been given every spiritual blessing. As a believer, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. There is no luck. You are a child of God. Amen? It's not up to the whim of fate or luck. You got to be very careful. You got to be very careful with your words. Because a lot of it may not be biblically correct. And it's affecting your joy. It's just every day it's affecting your joy. Oh, gosh, look, you, we start comparing ourselves. Oh, so-and-so, they're lucky. And I'm just unlucky. Not if God is good. And all the time. Okay, what does luck have to do with that? Zero. Especially if you're a son or daughter. Amen? All right? So we have to be very careful. Biblical joy, right? Philippians 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints. So here's, I want to help you just, again, foundation. How do we begin to um, drive the stake in the ground about joy? Number one, I can. Okay, knowing you can. It's a choice. You can, it's a command. You can, you can choose joy, okay? But what's the basis of that choice? Here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseer and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So they're writing this letter. Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. They call themselves servants of Christ Jesus. And then they say, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. We've talked about this probably since the first year we were birthed 11 years ago, but you can never get away from this. He's writing to the saints. Who are the saints? We are the saints. If you have put your faith in Jesus... 
You are now a saint positionally. Amen? Right? So turn to the person next to you. And if you know their name, just say, hey, good morning, Saint Betty. Go ahead. Good, good morning, Saint Robert. Good morning, Saint Travis. Good morning, Saint Kathy. Right? Now, how many of you find it a wee bit awkward to be called a saint? But see, if you really believe that, some of you are smiling with joy right now. It's your identity. You're a saint. It's not something you earn and something that's given to you after the fact. In Christ, you are a saint. That's why you can choose joy. It's rooted in who Father is and who you are in Father's eyes and his family. You're adopted, but you're a saint. Say, I am a saint. I can choose joy. You're a saint. I'm a saint. Isn't that crazy? Like, and, and believe me, I had to chew through right. Remember, I said, do you really believe what you say you believe? I grew up in the Catholic tradition. So my view of saints and sainthood, believe me, this truth rocked my world. And I'm like, what? I'm a what? I know who, you know, I grew up understanding saints and what it took to become a saint. You mean when I put my faith in Jesus, I'm a saint? Some of you are smiling because you're starting to believe it. You're being reminded of who you already are. See, your sainthood has nothing to do with your circumstances, does it? Your circumstances can't touch your identity in Christ. Amen? You're a saint. As a saint, as a child of God, you can choose joy because it's rooted in him and you and your identity in Christ. That's joy. That's joy. Okay? And then in Philippians, again, commanded to rejoice. First Thessalonians 5.16, another command. Hey, rejoice always, saints. James 1, 2 to 4. Hey, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So verse 2, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. How many of you would be honest, and I'm going to put my hand up on this one to help you, that your very first reaction to trials is not joy, usually? My hand went right up. But a command, James 1, 2, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. How do you do that? Well, when the trial happens, instead of just initially reacting, you go, whoop, saint, I can choose joy. And there's a biblical truth. Verses 3 and 4 says, okay, this trial is going to be used for my good, and it's going to grow me. I can choose my response to this trial with joy because there's a higher purpose in God's plan for my life. Amen? If I choose to react to this joy because circumstances went like, Doop, then I'm angry, bitter, scared, insecure because I just took my focus off who I am and who he is. And now I'm just driven by circumstance. Okay? I love this quote by Kay Warren. She says, Joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. 
the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Joy begins with our convictions about spiritual truths we're willing to bet our lives on, and truths that are lodged so deeply within us that they produce a settled assurance about God. Do you see how? This is not fluff. This is not fluff Christianity here. She's talking about settled assurance. She's talking about convictions, a settled assurance about God. She's talking about, but hey, believers, you have to meditate on this. You have to chew on these biblical truths so it just becomes who you are. It's settled. It's a conviction. It's not a cliche. But what has happened, okay, what has happened is rather than viewing our, our relationship with Jesus like in a covenant in a relationship that's day in and day out, you know, ups and downs, everything, and it becomes part of us, what Christianity in the church to a large degree has become is Band-Aid theology and what some call recipe theology. Band-Aid or recipe now, what that means is you come to church, you read a book, you go to podcast, and you're looking for band-aids for the issues in your life. You're looking for verses to fix an issue. Or you're looking for a recipe. Hey, pastor, can you give me five principles and I'll stir it up and then my life will work? See, what has happened, rather than walking and following Jesus in a relationship, it's become Band-Aid recipe formula. And all we really want to do is make our life work. I'm still in control, maybe, and I still got my old attitude, and I've still got my old worldview, but as long as Christianity works, I'm in. I've been in ministry for almost 30 years, and I have heard, literally, people tell me, I tried Christianity. I tried Christianity. Do you hear the Band-Aid recipe formulaic thought behind that? They tried it, and it didn't work. That's not why you come to Christianity. You don't come to Jesus to make your life work. You come to Jesus because you're a sinner in need of salvation. You come and you throw yourself at the mercy and grace of God, and you say, Jesus, thank you for dying and rising from the dead. I am a sinner saved by your grace. My life is yours. That is a far cry from, hey, Jesus, um, can you make my life work? I really need this and this and this, and I really would like a few verses and a formula and a recipe to how, so, so my life can work. You got to be real careful with that because that's going to kill your joy. And it's going to send you down this very uh, dangerous slope in how you view coming to church, how you view going to Bible study, how you view reading your Bible, because it's a covenant relationship. We're supposed to be in relationship with Jesus. Everything we do is to worship and love him, right? What's the first command? Love me with your whole being. He wants us to love him, not ask for recipes and Band-Aids. That's where, it, that's where again, it has gotten so twisted, and in the end, it kills our joy because we're not wanting Jesus. We're wanting a fix to make our life work. Well, what happens when life doesn't work according to your definition? Then you're going to leave. You're never going to come back because you tried the well. You tried Jesus. You tried, 
and Jesus didn't meet your expectations and he didn't make your life work. You have to be very careful with that. Very careful with that. Okay? It's a relationship. It's not a recipe. We're here to love him, not get him to make our life work. It's not a formula. It's a family. Okay? Be very careful with that approach to Christianity. Philippians 3 says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. So we're saints, but we're also citizens of heaven. Amen? We're dual citizens. And I've shared this with you, uh, this wonderful illustration from the world of nature that helps you understand why I can... I can choose joy, okay? And as a dual citizen, we have this wonderful picture. I wish it was a little bit bigger, but that's a four-eyed fish. That's a four-eyed fish. Now, this fish does not literally have four eyes. What it has, it has a slit. And that slit enables the fish to simultaneously look up at predators and down at prey. You and I are saints, we're citizens of heaven. We can choose to focus on spiritual realities as revealed in God's word, at the same time have to deal with the fallen and broken world. That's the challenge we negotiate, we navigate, right? So many of us, the issue this morning, thank you, Jordan, the the issue this morning is, where are you looking? This past week, where was most of your gaze? Down at the stuff and circumstances of your life or up at the realities of God and being a saint and a citizen of heaven? Where were you focused this week? Because you got both. Yeah, both. It's just a matter of choice. And where you choose to put most of your focus is directly related to your joy. To your joy. Okay? Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Okay, quick inventory. This past seven days, where was, most, where was your mind mostly set on? Things above, things on the earth. God's word, your favorite news channel. Spiritual realities, the reality of Facebook and social media. Where were you mostly focused this week? Because that will probably help you to understand the level of joy you have or don't have. That's where it is. Where are you focusing? Where are you focusing? Even when things are good, we have to be careful that even when we celebrate good things in the church that we don't lose our focus, right? Jesus sends out 72 Uh, of his followers on a mission trip, and the things go great. But look what he says when they come back in Luke 10. The 72 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Very important verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice that the demons... Obey you. That's what he's saying. That the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
You see what I'm saying? Even it's a, it's a, it's a victory. They're like, Jesus, it was awesome. We were casting out demons. He's like, hey, guys, 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 let me, give you, let me remind you of the true basis of your joy. Your names are written in heaven. Even Jesus had to correct his, his church. So I'm telling you right now, we are blessed at this church, blessed with a great facility, great, blessed with a great church family. God is blessing this church, amen? But I'm telling you right now, don't rejoice in the well. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Do not rejoice in the blessings at the well. Rejoice that your name, saint, citizen of heaven, is written at this very second in the book of life. Because I'm going to tell you, there's probably going to be a time when I say something that irks you. And you're not going to be too happy with me here. Or a decision the leadership makes. Or somebody takes your seat on a Sunday. Or it's too hot. Or it's too cold. Or you don't like the coffee. Or the donuts, if and when we ever get them back. But we all like the cheese. Amen? Amen. Shout out to Aaron. Okay. My point is this. If you hang your rejoicing on an imperfect church made up of imperfect people, that's a slippery slope. You hang your hat and you rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And we are just privileged to gather at this place that God has provided. Amen? Okay. My heart is so burdened for the church because this past year I've seen the heaviness. I've talked with many of you talk with the other pastors in the valley, it has been a heavy, heavy time, okay? And I just want this journey through Philippians, even today, to reignite your joy, to, 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 to create a great separation and independence from circumstance. And for some of you today and some of you at home to put a smile on your face and like, I'm a saint, I'm a citizen of heaven. I can. (laughs) Right? Some of you, it's been so long. You just need that. Amen? You just needed permission to be happy in Jesus. It's okay. You can be happy in Jesus because it's your happiness is rooted in spiritual realities, spiritual truth. Please be happy in Jesus. Okay? I've shared this with you before. As a saint, right, I've told you th- four incredible truths that we, we talked about. We've done this exercise before. You are complete, loved, accepted, pleasing, right? Some of you, you love this, right? You are complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. Okay? I mean, you got to get this. This is so foundational, right? As a saint, at a citizen of heaven, the Bible says you are. Okay. Do you believe what you say you believe? Because I'm going to challenge you to say this like you really believe it. If it's true, if you're a saint, if you're a citizen of heaven, the Bible in various verses says this, Jordan, put it back up, that you are what? That is something to clap about. 
Yes, even more than one. Thank you. Yes. You can clap. I mean, you can give the Lord a hand clap, right? See, again, this is like, you are complete, love, accepted, pleasing. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Because here's the thing. That is not a recipe and it's not a band-aid. It's biblical reality. And I understand it's going to take time for some of you to just let it sink in. You just got to do that clap 10,000 times a day. I am complete. I am loved. I'm accepted. I'm pleasing. You go on social media and you're made to feel horrible again. I am complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. Whatever, whenever it comes up, you got to do whatever you have to do to believe what you say you believe. Amen? Because if you focus on the, the realities of who you are in Christ, your joy will explode. Because you are now going to be set free from circumstance, from things out of your control. Focus on who you are in Christ. Okay? And then he says, we'll close with Philippians 1-2. He says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer, you remember today, God's grace is sufficient, and you can experience the peace of God. You can, I can choose joy. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient, and I have his peace. If you're not a believer, I want to encourage you. I want to invite you this morning. Receive God's grace, his unmerited favor. You can't earn it. Bible says you're not saved by works. You just receive this gift of salvation. And then it says you have peace with God. Amen? Foundational to biblical joy is having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So if you're a believer, come back. His grace is sufficient. Celebrate the peace of God. If you're not, we're going to sing a song. I encourage you, put your faith Receive his grace. Say, Jesus, in the best way I know how, I, I just want to follow you. I believe you died. You rose from the grave. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. In the best way I know how, I want to follow you. I put my faith in you. Receive his grace and celebrate the peace with God that comes with that. So I asked the worship team uh, after they did their first set. They're going to come up. They're going to sing Cornerstone. And as I was sitting there, and this was unplanned, as I was sitting there, I was like, you know what? This is a joy song. Cornerstone is a song of joy. And I'm going to hope, and my prayer is why I'm asking them to come up and sing it before we do communion, is that you will sing this because you believe what you say you believe. That you will sing this because if Jesus is your cornerstone, if Christ alone, right, my hope is built on nothing, if this is really what you believe, by the end of this song, you should have some pretty, some pretty solid joy. If you're going to sing this like you really believe this. So let's sing this with joy, with conviction, settled assurance. Let's sing it, and then we'll celebrate communion afterwards.